The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Two shows ago, I did a program I called Playing 20 Questions with God and, of course, with all of you out there. It was a monologue. I'm prone to do those things from time to time, triggered, uh, I think, by the reports of the terrorist bombing of, of my old neighborhood, West 23rd Street, near the Chelsea Hotel in New York City. Back when I lived there, I noted hopes were high for peace and love to prevail. The 60s promised peace and love. But now there are bombs in the streets where we once shared music and poetry and dreams. Anyway, I threw out my 20 questions to the universe, and lo and behold, our guest today, listening from half a world away in Australia, caught them and returned them with serious answers I think you all deserve to hear. Today's guest, Maria Dolhai, lives in Melbourne, Australia. About herself, she writes, since I was a young child, I had great interest in understanding the nature of our true be being. This interest was induced by two distinct spiritual experiences, one of which was an unforgettable dream. This seems to have acted as a catalyst in my further exploration of the origin of our nature and led to the discovery of the true source of happiness, peace, and connectedness. And I should add, the details of that dream are contained in a letter Maria sent me which I read on the air some three years ago, on November 4th, 2013, and which you can listen to by hitting our past shows button. Maria, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee, and thank you for all the listeners. Um, big hello to you all from Australia. <laughs> uh, yes, and thank you for being up at 2 in the morning, which is um, the t your time there. Um, Maria, I can't tell you how happy I was to get your answers to my 20 questions. You took the whole level of discussion to a greater depth of wisdom, for which I thank you. My questions circulated around issues of reincarnation and time travel, mind control, the causes of fear, God's judgment, predestination, ghosts, fairies, and the like, and so forth. And you said my questions were all about the same thing. So tell us what you meant by that. Well, I, I meant no disrespect to you, but um, I suppose what I was trying to do is to look behind the question and see what motivates one to ask any question ever. And the common theme I find in your question is, um, which actually can be generally found in most questions, is to find answers to our true existence. We, we all search for happiness we all search for desire to be fulfilled, desire to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. And through the questions, which your listeners can go back and listen to, I find this common theme of how are we connected to the bigger reality of life, which many calls God, life, the great I am, and so forth. Mm. And and it, I, just to uh, recount, I, I, we we won't have time to go through everything you described in your letter, in which they can listen to in that earlier program. But your dream was about connectedness, wasn't it? 
Correct, correct. Would you like me to recount some of my dream? Yeah, um, just a little for the audience. Just a little bit. All right. So I won't go through the whole lot, but uh, one night I had this very vivid dream, which I have never forgotten. And in the dream, I find myself in a, a natural uh, park-like environment, but it was somewhat out in a field all alone, where I have experienced uh, a, a rather a, a physical knowledge of what is it like where things are made of light and everything in the dream. So I was in, in this field with grass and, and trees and flowers and um, I found myself looking at down the nature around me and I saw that instead of a, a sun or a, or a source shining light on these um surroundings, light was coming out of it all. And by picking up, for instance, a flower and looking at this beautiful living thing, I had the sense that once I put the flower back down, it will rejoin to the light, to the to the source of life. And um, it had two folds to this dream. The second fold was while I was in this beautiful environment, protective environment, and I knew I was part of it, I still had this sense of loneliness and longing, and, and I didn't understand this alone feeling I was feeling. And I think it was in itself a true gift because that dream has got me into... Um, uh, sort of put me on a track or a quest to find out more about that, uh, my own true nature, my own true um, existence, what's the purpose of my life, what's the reason of my life, and, and ultimately what is the true source of happiness. Mm. And and in our conversation yesterday, I it occurred to me, and I mentioned to you that when you picked that flower, it was uh, actually a representation, I think, of yourself because we are all connected until we disconnect. <laughs> and although the flower was still connected through you and your your feet were in this uh, in the light, but still uh, there was a separation there. Correct, correct. And generally speaking, this is what we experience in this world. We come into this world as a form. This is just a description of my. Uh, the result of my exploration. Yes. Um, and uh, would you mind if I talk about that a little bit, Lee? No, go go right ahead. Because it, it is uh, strongly connected to not only to the 20 questions I have answered, but also to the whole nature of us wanting to know more about uh, needed experience, out-of-body experience, all the spiritual experiences. So what seems to happen is that we come into this world as a form, and not only that our body we ex- experiences form, but we also experience form such as thoughts and emotions. And we not, don't seem to be aware of them because they somehow consume us. But if, let's say, someone is um, coming across a deep spiritual experience or a needed experience, these things seem to wake us out of this uh, mental noises and the result of that is that then one can experience a greater consciousness a greater awareness and through this greater awareness then 
you can start to look at yourself of who you truly are. And, and as a, as a result of me trying to discover what is the nature of this awareness, I have discovered that awareness throughout my whole life have never changed. Everything has changed. You know, my bodily uh, uh, shape from a child to an adult has changed. My circumstances has changed. Thoughts come and go. Emotions come and go. But one thing I consistently had was awareness. I was constantly conscious. And, um, of course, I wanted to know more. And uh, going on with the further discovery, I also realized this awareness actually doesn't share the same qualities of other forms. For instance, as I mentioned, it has a longevity. It, it doesn't seem to come and go like other forms. And also, it is always in the here, spatially, and it's always now. And every other thing appears in it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I should mention the first question uh, out of the 20 was uh, about reincarnation. And I elaborated on this question the more, most because I really wanted um, to make a point of our true awareness and the experience of our true awareness in is tend to be this way. We come in as awareness or as a space or a field of the here and the now. And for instance, let's say a thought comes in. And the thought comes in with a message of, generally speaking, of what happened or what's going to happen. Or right now, you shouldn't be here now. You should be thinking about such and such. And the moment we identify with this thought or a mental story, one thought after another, we seem to lose ourselves. We seem to carnate into, take form, born as form into this whole thought and we take up the form of the thought. But the moment we step outside of the torch, we lose its grip on us. And therefore, we go back into awareness. But being in awareness doesn't seem to have, as I mentioned earlier, the same objective qualities. It doesn't seem to have much uh, or many words which we could describe because it has this feeling of nothingness. Therefore, another thought quickly comes in and takes us out of awareness Again, so we, we, in a daily life, we tend to reincarnate into, from one thought to another thought, into awareness and to another thought. So it can, we can literally experience reincarnation on a day-to-day -day level. Mm. Now, once if you are, are aware that you are doing this, then you can step out of it and you can stop this cycle of reincarnation because you're not seeking yourself in this thought anymore. And then you can discover your deep, deeper self of who you are, and then you are free from reincarnating. You uh, mentioned in one of your, um, in answering one of the questions, uh, you wrote, um, even our thoughts about the future or the past are in the now. The here is not a localized here with worldly dimension. Rather, try to picture it as a field 
like a TV screen. I love this uh, comparison. Like a TV screen where all the action of a movie appears and disappears, but the screen remains untouched and unaltered regardless of what will happen in the movie. That's a, that's a great way to, to draw the distinction. It, indeed, and, and also I mentioned it that, um, actually I want to say two things. First, um, if you experiencing thought or some sort, let's say a thought of fear comes in and, and, and the fear projects you into the future, what will, what could happen? But if you truly investigate this thought, you stand back and, and you look at the thought and you look at its qualities, then what you can really tell about this thought is that if you ask this thought, can you tell me about the weather today or anything uh, re- remotely um, relevant to the present moment, that very thought which is projecting you into the f- a fearful uh, future can, does not have any qualities which, or any knowing of the present moment. And, and really, if you truly investigate it, you find that it actually doesn't know anything. It only knows its form. And what it really wants to do is for you to identify with it. Or rather, your, it really wants to know your awareness, the place where you're watching it from. So it's like a moth to a flame. All the, all the moth wants to know is the fire. But by knowing the fire, it will literally have to be consumed by the fire, so it will have to die. Mm. In, in this exercise, for instance, if you actually ask this thought, and, and anybody can do it. In, in your own experience, I encourage the listeners to actually do this, to look at the thought and ask the thought, where is the me in you? Show me this me. What you will find and I give you a hint now, but uh, it, it is actually quite amazing when it happens to you first time, is that if you give it enough space and you're allowing the thought being in the present moment instead of resisting the fear, but you allow it to be there, you might as well allow it because it's already there and might as well get to know it because it will come back later anyway. If you don't get to know it this time, it will come back another round. Then, then by asking where is the me in you, what you're going to find is that there will be no me, and the thought literally will dissolve into your awareness just like a moth dies in the flame. Mm. Do you suppose the brain tries to distract us from the soul? In other words, like uh, someone trying to meditate, they talk about the monkey mind, all of these random thoughts that keep them from getting to their true essence. It's almost like the brain works against the soul in some ways. Um, I don't believe so. I should say no, simply because the nature of of life, and, and again, I, I say this as as an open invest uh, uh, open request for investigation. Um, the nature of life is is like this: the formless field of the here and the now, the potentiality comes into form. So putting it down in simple terms, life, God, who is formless, comes into form. 
by somehow giving up its own totality and tend to forget itself. And as it comes into forgetting itself, it, it has this kind of dance of assuming a separate identity. And that is what we experience. It is not that the mind is cutting us off from the soul or the soul is somewhat separate from the mind because, it, because we are very much, we're very much an integrated being. We are not an isolated accident. We are not an isolated event. We can investigate it in our whole body. I mean, can our heart work independently from our kidneys? No, one needs another. And the same way, the soul does need the mind. For instance, I'm talking to you right now. I need the mind to use words. But in understanding how this all works, the, the most simple way I can say it is, it is meant to be this way. It's meant to take forgetfulness and then awaking into an alert knowing of who you are. And then maybe you forget again and then you come back to awareness again. Mm. You, in that letter from 2013, you ha- you wrote of a second experience in which you suddenly were very aware. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a near-death experience. It was just a sudden knowing. And you wrote a sudden, suddenly I had a clear knowing and an image in my mind of who I am in reality, what reality is, who God is, and how it fits together. And I thought to myself, that's like, you know, Christians talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and a knowing mm-hmm. like that is, would be a true Baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit. I, I I strongly relate to that simply because once that has happened to me, I could literally feel how how I would say the Holy Spirit. Let's use that word. The Holy Spirit was teaching me bit by bit and never letting me go. I was I just like everybody else and every other young person because it happened to me at, at in my twenties. You tend to sort of get lost in the world and, and, and your ideas and what you want and your desires and your hopes. But the Holy Spirit has never, never, ever let me go. It was always, even even times when my life was so wonderful, there, there would be something happening, something calling me back to look deeper and never, ever just giving me an information but always confirming the information to several sources so that I will understand that that building block which was put down that day is solidified. And I will understand how one thing connects to another and how we as humans, not isolated, but we are deeply integrated into life and how much life loves us and cares about us. And how that can be known. I am not one of those fortunate people who had a near-death experience. But if anybody studies or reads any of the near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences or deep spiritual experiences, what you will find is that awareness was always present, regardless that they did not understand mentally and in, 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 as in their intellect or what's happening. 
awareness was present, and even after coming back from that experience, what remained was the awareness, even if they forgot part of the experience itself. And this is, I believe, what the Holy Spirit is pointing us to, our true essence, and not to forget our true essence, because once we forget our true essence, then suddenly we become this little me who is separated, who is fragile, who will eventually succumb to death, whereas the greater us, greater us the greater existence of who we are cannot die. Life cannot die. Only the birth, which, which gives to birth, only form will die. Mm. But the field where all life happens will not die. And I refer back to the previous um, metaphor I used about the screen. So if, if anybody actually look at their TV screen, you can anything can happen on the screen. And the screen can take you to the most beautiful landscapes, the most interesting uh, conflicts and scenarios of human life, but the screen never get touched by what's actually happening in a movie. And once you switch the channel to another event, just like our thought and our emotion get switched in our day-to-day life, the screen always there. The screen, using the screen as a metaphor, uh, comparing it to our awareness, our knowing, our consciousness, is always there. And it's never touched. It's never altered by the form, which, let's say, in this case, is is the movie happening. Um, you, you wrote from the point of view of here and now, and then you said life. We are always life. Uh, do you see life as being um, something timeless? I mean, if we could, if we could escape time, would we be truly alive? That's right. So we tend to say the term "our life" and "my life." And we equate life with birth, and we think that life will die. But life in itself has to be, it has to be a continuum, simply because in its nature it contains all the form, and in its nature it is always the here meaning not as a local here, but here is the space where all form appears. And it always has to be the now, meaning there is past and future cannot exist now. It's all only the now can exist. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Uh, does it make sense what I said? Well, I guess what I'm asking is, is it possible for there to be change in a timeless setting? In other words, if we live in the now, of course, a change take change of form takes place all the time. I mean, we're Correct. doing this, we're doing that. So, in a way, uh, some physicists would tell us that we are trapped in a dimension that isn't real. The time is not real. But is the change of form allowed in a timeless setting? That's right. That's all there is. The change itself 
resulted by the form changing. But the, the field where all this happening where is, is life. It, life itself, life never changes. Life always retains its qualities of being the field where all form appears and disappears. So okay. th- that's how life maintains its freshness. It's always the now. So, so life is the timeless TV screen, and form Correct. is the form is the images that pass over it. Co- correct. I mean, that's just a very simple way of putting it. Yes. Um, and and, well, I, and if, if you want to refer to, um, let me just quickly say this, to multidimension. I mean, imagine if you can, if you have a television which multi-screens and, and some of the televisions these days can do all sorts of things, then how much more life can do, God can do. Let, let's, uh, okay, let's, um, we're, <laughs> we're almost out of time and we have only touched on question one, so I'm going to have to have you come back. But let's take a quick look at a judgment. Um, sure. Because that was, a, that was one of my uh, burning questions as well. Um, what, what do you think about judgment, and who is it that would be judging? Would it be ourselves, or would it be uh, God? Okay, so if we're looking at, at from the very thing I've been explaining... And I know I haven't been very thorough, but let's just go on the surface right now very quickly. So the formless comes into existence as form. And there's two ways of looking at it. From the formless point of view, from God's point of view, if you want to use that word, all God knows is itself. So all awareness knows or aware of is itself. Therefore, it's not judging itself. It is no need to judge it. Judgment only happens from the form's point of view. Only the form has this uh, desire and this need to look at itself and position itself relating to other objects. And that's how judgment actually takes place. And even when we look at the uh, NDEs, where people have the um, life review. Life review is kind of a, a, a concession to us, I believe. Uh, it, it can be disputed, I agree. But if I look at it in my own experience, it is we are we meant to look at ourselves, we meant to reflect o- on our own actions, so so to speak, so we discover of what who is the one who is acting. Who is this separate me I believe myself to be? And as long as I act out of this separate self, this separate identity, which is ultimately a non-existent identity, I just believe I'm a separate thing from God, then there is judgment. And and it, it has to be because we live in a world of duality, right and wrong, left or right, what choice should I make? Have I made the right choice and so forth? So it, on one hand, it, it is helpful for us, but on the other hand, it is a pointer of, of helping us out of the world of suffering because ultimately this constant judgment causes us to suffer. And the suffering 
is also like a teacher. It helps us to see because it's not our natural nature to suffer. We want happiness. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be connected. So suffering then, once judgment happens, suffering happens. And out of suffering comes a, a, a desire, a deep burning desire to connectedness. So we seek for it. Now, this can happen uh, a pain, in a painful way because suffering does cause pain. Or this can happen in a, in a voluntary way where someone is willing to investigate, willing to look at their life, and willing to look at what is, what is awareness, and then you let go of judgment. And then you will find the true source of happiness. Hmm. And yet if you're, living in the, in the pre- if you're living in the now, you can't anticipate forgiving yourself until you get there. If you live in the now, it is only a thought which will come up and an accompanying emotion, which is really a thought induced in the body. It's the, it's the body's reaction to a thought. An emotion is a body's reaction to a thought. And, and of course, we can elaborate on that because uh, emotions are stored in our body. So we have a body memory of collective thoughts and collective emotions. So once we have this thought of judgment and we believe it, we identify it as this is me, not to say that I have not done wrong. Yes, I could do wrong, and that therefore I'm, it's okay for me to accept it. But I don't have to identify with the judgment of me. This is me. It must be me. And putting and investing this is where, where the hardship comes, is that we invest our true essence into that judgment. Then we run off with that judgment, and therefore, and then we manifest the guilty consciousness in our body and in our life, and therefore we act out of that guilt. Maria? If you are, yes. I'm afraid we're, day, we, we are out of time. We, we will have to continue this discussion, though. This is just uh, too too fascinating. Uh, so let me thank you for taking the time to respond uh, um, to my 20 questions, first of all, and also for sharing your insights with us today. And um, if you'd like to get in touch with Maria, she's given me an email address. If it's all right, I'll share that, Maria. Sure, sure. Maria dot hboh at hotmail.com. Well, thank you, Maria. We'll, we'll be uh, continuing this. Um, Absolute uh, pleasure. Um, and we are out of time for today. We want to. I want to thank our listeners. If you want to go to our past shows, go to the website at nderadio.org and tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>